Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the best reads of 2021 episode of postcards from a dying world returning to the podcast uh popular guest judge mark rothenberg who's returning uh sans laird baron and mary san giovanni uh but he was a part of our best horror short stories podcast and very glad to have him back here to go through what the best stuff that we read this year because here's the thing, like, really, Mark is here to kind of interrogate me on what I read, but Mark's such a good reader, we want to hear what he read, too, over the year. So, although you said you read more the last couple of years, not necessarily books from this year, right? Correct. And I want to point out, you said popular guest. I was clearly the, I was the fourth most popular person on that four-person podcast last time. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, this year I read more books actually from la- the past couple of years. So it wasn't like I read a lot of new books, probably on my list. Mm-hmm. Maybe only one or two are from, uh, are from last year or this yeah. year, I guess. Now I've made a point over the last couple of years with this list to do uh, books that were released in the year to kind of support new authors and to do that kind of thing. I might be shifting my reading focus in the next year to doing more 20th century science fiction for writing articles and such. Maybe some of you are here because of my article on tour, which uh, is kind of an example of the type type of nonfiction that I want to try and write about 20th century uh, science fiction. And so I'm probably going to be doing more of that this year. Um, Hopefully we're going to be ending the Dickheads podcast readings uh, probably in the next year, although we're slowing down a little bit to stretch it out a bit um, because we're almost because we're already to, uh, we're recording Scanner Darkly next. So we're already to 1977 and the man did not live past 1982. So <laughs> there's not much left. Yeah, but and, you can do adjacent stuff all day long. Yeah, and we're, I'm, some of us are thinking about covering some John Bruner over the next couple of years. As many people will know, John Bruner is probably my favorite science fiction author of all time. Uh, of course, he crosses into horror quite often. And we've already done two John Bruner episodes. We did Stand on Zanzibar and The Sheep Look Up. And The Sheep Look Up, of course, is one of my top 10 horror novels of all time. So uh, we talked about it on this podcast for that. But anyways, we're going to start with retro reads. And so you're you're mixing your retro reads in with um, with your top 10, right, Mark? Yeah, I'll be honest. They are all kind of mixed in my top 10 just because, again, I didn't read any I read it just a few brand new books, several books from last year. I read, I suspect that one book I had in my possession would have been on my list, except I left it out in the rain. I never got to, I never picked up another copy of it. So that's not out of here, but yeah, mine are all mixed up. So. <laughs> all right. Um, so we're going to start with my retro reads. The first retro read that I have is um, the complete werewolf by Anthony Boucher. In fact, I, two of these, I can, pick off the shelf here um they're right behind me and that's this book the complete werewolf by anthony boucher and if 
people don't know, Anthony Boucher is one of the founding editors of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, but he's also the crime writers, um, the mystery writers convention every year is called BoucherCon because he was just as prolific in the mystery genre as he was science fiction. He's also the man that discovered Philip K. Dick, and he did a writer's group that a lot of famous Bay Area science fiction writers went to on Thursday nights in the 50s um, at Tony Boucher's house. And because I did my Philip K. Dick expedition in Berkeley last week, I got to go to the home of Tony Boucher, and I saw the window he was looking out when he wrote The Complete Werewolf, because it's the house he lived in from 1941 through his death in 1968 so that was pretty cool and um and i the way i'm going to do this episode is kind of speak to mark a little bit and hope that that works out for the rest of you um mark you would love the complete werewolf this is 1940s pure science fiction and horror there's robot stories there's uh, obviously a werewolf story the title story um, but one of the best horror stories, um, I know I mentioned this story when we did our top 10 uh, horror short stories, is a story called They Bite, which has kind of a um, long before Blink, the Blink episode of Doctor Who with the Weeping Angels. It, it has monsters that get closer to you if you speak of them. And it takes place in the desert. And it's one of the best horror stories I've ever read. And I know F. Paul Wilson listed it as one of his all time favorites. So high praise. Yeah, I've read a couple things by him. Uh, that is on my list after our after our the podcast we had. My, you know, it's funny. I mentioned a book to you that we'll we'll talk about or that I just mentioned. But you said you're to book, you're to read. Uh, you know, pile is pretty nuts. Pile yeah. is huge. My, I actually have a whole bookshelf, a whole shelf on a bookshelf of it. I was looking through it today, so I've decided I need to hold off on buying books, but I won't. So. If I come across at a used bookstore, you know, the Anthony, the complete werewolf's going on my list. Yeah, so. yeah, it's really great stuff, classic stuff, and it has a really cool 40s feel to it. And now that I've seen the house that it was written in, that's kind of cool, too. Uh, he lived pretty close to downtown Berkeley. It's kind of a neat thing to see uh, to see that. That was really cool. Um, my next retro read is um, Mockingbird by Walter Tevis. And I know if you read my Torah article, probably I probably wrote about it like it's this great classic that I've known about forever. <laughs> However, I really just read it last year. And uh, Walter Tevis, if you don't know, is the author who wrote the novels that The Hustler and Queen's Gambit was based off of. But he also wrote science fiction. He also wrote the classic The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is going to be a Paramount Plus TV series very soon from Alex Kurtzman the showrunner of the modern star trek curious and as to how that's going to turn out because you know the david bowie movie yeah i like the day i know the david bowie movie was weird and and it wasn't anything really like that story or the the book the man who fell to earth but i also hope that paramount plus doesn't pull a stand on it because i really was disappointed in the stand so well everyone was yeah, um, it just shouldn't have been told that way but regardless Tevis is a great writer. Yeah, and Mockingbird is like a reversal of Fahrenheit 451 because it's a dystopia with AIs and basically AIs are taking care of the human race and the human race has become illiterate and it's about the power of literature and reviving the human race kind of 
thing in a post-apocalyptic AI-run dystopia. It's really cool. I love Mockingbird. Um, I think there's a lot of really cool ideas there. And I did write about it in my tour article. So yeah, Mockingbird by Walter Tevis. Very good. Highly recommended. The next on my retro reads is The Best of Judith Merrill, who was also mentioned in my top 10 horror short stories. Um, And I'm not going to say a ton about this, but Judith Merrill is like kind of one of the founding pioneers of the uh, Futurians um, uh, sci-fi writers group, which include Fred Paul and Isaac Asimov and Don Wolheim. She was kind of a cool lady. She left the country um, in protest over the Vietnam War and became a Canadian citizen. And she left one of the largest collections of science fiction in the world to the public library in Toronto. And her only stipulation was that there was somewhere where somebody could lay down to read. So there's a bed in in the library room, which is kind of cool. She was a great writer. There's a really great post-nuclear, post-atomic war story called um, Only a Mother, which was the one that I listed on our top 10 horror shorts. But there's also just really, really good science fiction in there, uh, ahead of its time science. Um, There's a story in there called Daughters of Earth that's really, really incredible that a lot of it takes place in Pluto. And actually a lot of the science is, is better, is closer to... Uh, you know, it's not as outdated as you would imagine being having been written in the 50s. And then she has a story in there called Dead Center, which was one of the first stories to be included in the best American short stories by a science fiction writer. So pretty cool. Judith Merrill. The last um, retro read that I have listed is The Void Captain's Tale by Norman Spinrad. And The Void Captain's Tale is kind of like a kind of weird hippie free love anarchist version of dune um i don't know how else to call it um i i i mentioned in my tour article saying that i wanted the wachowskis to do a movie of this because it would be a glorious train wreck and that i would like actually enjoy for being a train wreck um and uh void captain's tale is just a bonkers book uh, it has um faster than light travel driven by orgasms and it's just it's just very weird um, you know i haven't i haven't read much of norman spinrad i think probably the only thing i wrote was maybe read was maybe the solarians uh yeah that's it was, it was little, just one i never got into yeah that's that's his first novel and that's a little too early i think you should try um i think you would love men in the jungle is really good and um as for early spinrad and then Oh, she voids Captain's Tale is pretty good. But as far as like, he also has one called Journal of the Plague Years that was written during the height of the HIV thing. And I think is really, really, really good. It's Norman Spinrad wrote a lot of novels where it's like the chutzpah on him. His biggest classic is a bug, ba- uh, Baron Bug, Jack or Baron Bug, Jack Baron. I can't, I always say the title wrong. Um, but yeah, that's the one that got banned in England. And then he also wrote The Iron Dream, which was just bananas because he basically The Iron Dream was written as Hitler. And it's a spoof of... Um, I, you've told me about this one before and this is what I have to read. Yes. <laughs> you, you, well, the thing is, it's an intentionally bad book. So keep that in mind. Oh, I know. You, you've explained that it's a satire. Was it Lord of the Rings, basically, he's done? or He's or basically sending a middle finger to Tolkien and sword and sorcery books for being fascist. 
And so basically what he, the way he made the point that sword and sorcery books were, were fascist in nature was to imagine that Hitler did not become the leader of Germany, but ended up being a pulp writer in New York and wrote a novel called Lord of the Swastika. And it's like basically imagining if Hitler wrote like a sword and sorcery novel and it's really bad. It's really, really hard to read. Um, but there's lots of really intense middle fingers to uh, Tolkien throughout the book. And it's, it's just the chutzpah uh, of somebody to like write a book as Hitler to, um, to mock. Just, uh, Lord the, just of the out Lord. of spite, just to spite a whole genre. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so Spinrad um, is like probably one of the ultimate middle fingers to the genre <laughs> over time. So yeah, that's Void Captain's Tale. And so, um, nonfiction read. Do you have a top nonfiction read of the year, Mark? Um, uh, you know what? I don't only because I really didn't read. I'm trying to think if I actually read any nonfiction, Dave. Uh, I don't think I did. My <laughs> job is so full of nonfiction that I, I really. Yeah, you, you don't want to. You don't want to think about I'm it. Sh- I'm sure I did. I mentioned I'm about to read a book. Uh, I mentioned to you earlier called. Uh, you know, Jews Don't Count by David Bladell about Jews and anti-Semitism and racism. But honestly, I really didn't, I, I really don't read a lot of nonfiction. And that's not even a genre book. So there you go. Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing. I read, like, I got this shelf right here. That's my, um, this is my nonfiction about the genre shelf. And so I've been having to do a lot of research for the podcast and for the Philip K. Dick stuff. Um, and I read several Philip K. Dick uh, nonfiction books. I, I, I'm starting to have a growing shelf of books about Philip K. Dick. Well, and, uh, and you're going on trips to go discover the history of Philip K. Dick, which I think is awesome. Yeah, no, and that was just, you know, my I going to his Francisco Street house, uh, the one he lived in the 50s, was kind of like my Graceland, <laughs> you know. Um, and that's the only one where I just felt like the need to, like, touch it. <laughs> but do they have do they have anything there noting his presence there you know, you know tony boucher tony, tony boucher's house has a plaque really um but none of the pkd houses and we think that the pkd house on francisco street at one time had one but i think the people that live there maybe wanted it taken down because i think you know a lot of people were coming there and that is the house, by the way, where he was, where he pulled on the light cord in the bathroom and inspired time on a joint. He wrote, uh, gather your, and, um, gather yourselves together through time out of joint living in that house, at least, if not a few more, but they lived there from 1951 to 1960. He and, wouldn't want a plaque there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> he would probably think that, you know, it's all a conspiracy. Well, no, I mean, it is a tiny house. So maybe like, you know, he, he might have some issues, but he'd always talked a lot about that house. And he's told stories about, you know, relocating the mice because there were so many mice in the house. And so he doesn't mind talking about what they went through in that time. That's the house he was living in where allegedly they went to the Lucky Dog pet store to buy um, horse meat because they couldn't afford the human stuff. Allegedly, he tells the story. And that's why um, Philip K. Dick's character in Vallas is named horse horse lover fat um really i didn't yeah. know that yeah yeah that. yeah 
because of allegedly because of that. And um, so, but we saw the spot where the Lucky Dog pet store used to be. It is now a dojo. So you can um, learn. I thought you were going to say it was a stable. It would have been funnier, but a dojo is better. No, dojo is better. But the, uh, um, but yeah, so the nonfiction book, the best one that I read this year was The Divine Madness of PKD, of uh, The Divine Madness of Philip K. Dick by Kyle Arnold. And in the process of doing this podcast, you know, I've learned a lot of wacky things about Philip K. Dick. And this book is part biography, but it is a really detailed, the Kyle Arnold who wrote it, it's a psychologist. I'm working on getting him on the podcast. He basically, he read everything <laughs> um, that he could. And he wrote, it's a, like a 200 page book that, t- that um, analyzes all of his fiction and all of his interviews and all the biographical information that he could to kind of come up with a psychological profile of Philip K. Dick and to, to try and decide whether, you know, because the main thing people wanted to know, and there's a pink laser beam on the cover of the book, you know, a lot of people will ask you, well, you know, was he, a lot of people think he was schizophrenic and that's why he had the, um, uh, the pink laser beam experience, but um, he was not schizophrenic. Um, you don't function the way that he did um, really generally on schizophrenia. And basically what Kyle Arnold argues in the book is that he is more affected by the years of meta of, 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 um, meth or, um, <laughs> of speed balls and all those things that he did that he kind of fucked his mind on drugs more than anything. And that a lot of the paranoia and the things that were going on were because of that. And, uh, but it's, it's really uh, a very interesting book. It's one, it's the second best of the nonfiction books about PKD that I've read so far uh, to, uh, of course, Lawrence Sutton's uh, divine invasions is like the ultimate, biography eventually someday hopefully we'll get greg reckman's trilogy uh he's he's only done the first part of his he's writing a three-part biography of philip k dick and he's only written through 1960 so far and well he's written the second part and he just hasn't released it yet and we had the chance to actually have coffee with rickman when 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 i was up and yeah i saw that that was very cool that was very cool yeah and so he we also got, he gave us a little, uh, he told us a little bit about what he's got planned for, for two and three. And, um, but he's still researching. So he doesn't feel like he's ready to, to put that out there. So he almost published part two a while back, but didn't do it. Um, so yeah. And then uh, my PKD read of the year. Um, Cause oh, I hold on, hold on. You know, it does occur to me. I read a nonfiction book and it actually is, it is genre adjacent. And I read. Fun. Okay. It's uh, Brian Blessed, who's the, I don't know if you know who Brian Blessed is. He's an actor, British actor. You might know him as Prince Voltan from uh, from Flash Gordon. Huge okay. booming voice. He's the guy, he's the Hawkman, basically. Oh, yeah. And I did he, want to read this book. I've heard it's yeah. incredible. Well, yeah, there's multiple ones, but the one that I read was called There's a Panther in My Kitchen. And it was all about, he's an, a huge animal lover, and it's all about the different animals he lived with during periods of time in his life. I thought it was cool. I thought it was just a cool book to read. But anyway, that's the non And therefore, since it's the only nonfiction book I read, therefore, it gets my nonfiction book of the year. Well, you know, hey, uh, that's that sounds like a worthy recommendation. I did want to read that book. I did read about it. And I didn't finish in time. I'm reading Mel Brooks's um, uh, autobiography. I do want to read that book, too, the new one that just came out. Yeah. 
the only problem with the book is that it's not a warts and all biography at all it's like it's the rosiest version and like you know he doesn't talk about when the movies fail like you know there's 40 pages on the producers and eight pages on dracula dead and loving it you know and it and i yeah i understand you don't necessarily want to focus on on your failures but um, part of it all right yeah it's a part of it all And, and unfortunately like you know he skips his first marriage he's you know he skips a lot of things and it's it's kind of I'm sure weird. there were hard times when he was doing like your show of shows and stuff when he probably doesn't focus on those hard times there's a lot about the show of shows and that's good it's good yeah. stuff so but yeah i recommend it uh overall uh, i'm enjoying it i still i'm um i just finished the uh young frankenstein chapter last night so as far as my favorite pkd book that i read this year we're in the 70s and so definitely flow my tears the policeman said is the best that i read this year although you know it's funny because at first i said maze of death and then i kind of thought about it and i think flow my tears is definitely um, i've not read flow my tears i did read maze of death a long time ago uh for me pkd ubic is kind of my favorite it's my go-to i love it i don't know why yeah you know ubic will never be the favorite of anyone who reads the books in publication order because and i'll tell you why is um and i've had this discussion with people on dickheads is that if you read in publication order you've seen the the personal cosmos thing like a couple times (laughs) by the time you get to ubic Oh, so yeah, it's not a new idea by that time. You probably, I mean, it's yeah. To me, I was like, wow, this is a cool. I read that lot so long ago. It was specifically he did it for the first time, really, in Eye in the Sky in the fifties. So, I also big time out of joint person. That's why I questioned when you went to that house whether or not you check the cords in the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah, we weren't allowed inside. Um, My buddy uh, Gil uh, talked himself into the house once. Um, (laughs) Wait. And uh, he got to be inside the house, but we were not so lucky. So, um, <laughs> okay. Um, I did get the chance to tell somebody one of the houses he lived in for two years at the beginning of high school that said, Hey, did you know Philip K. Dick lived in your house? And they did not, they did not know that. So, um, and they closed, and then they just closed the door on you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Click. No, no, they were excited. Um, they were excited. No, it was cool. Um, and they had read PKD before, so they were like, I gotta get the fuck out of here kind of thing, reaction in the beginning. But, okay, so uh, any honorable mentions for you that didn't make your top ten? For me, um, let me look at my list here because I didn't even really go think about honorable mentions you know, it's it's not even an honorable mention. It's one of the best books I ever read. I, I had some rereads that that typically, you know, I won't put on my top ten list because I think you know, House on Haunted Hill would knock any of those things out of the water. My top ten, in my opinion, because I think it's just one of the greatest American horror novels. I don't really have a lot of honorable mentions. Um, I read a lot of short stories and throughout the year and i just kind of jumped around there was a collection in in junji ito who's a a japanese horror artist i guess Uh, he writes a lot of in one of his 
books is on my top 10, but I did read a, a couple collections by him, one that was called Shiver, which I liked quite a bit. Uh, I would recommend that. Mm. Um, trying to think what else that I read. You know, honorable mention to me would be a book that you would recommend it. It, it just kind of got pushed out of my top 10 based on that last book I just finished. And that would be Scars by Richard Christian Matheson. I thought that was a great collection of short stories. Um, Red. Yeah, Red was, you know, when I read that book and I think I texted you right after I read it and I said, you know, holy crap. Yeah. I mean, and you told me the story about how you read the book, how you heard about it, the story, you read it and then you had to reread it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very you, can, short. you can miss what that story is doing really easily. Yeah, but when you see what that story's doing, it's pretty disturbing. Uh, yeah, it's, and that's um, uh, Richard Matheson's son, uh, Richard Christian Matheson. Correct. And the collection is called Scars and Scars uh, and Other Marks, I think is what it's called, right? Scars and Other Marks. Scars and Other Bodily Something. <laughs> disturbing Marks. Scars and Other Disturbing Marks is what it's called. Uh, yeah, so that was that was on there. And again, I did a lot of rereads. Uh, you know, I reread The Human Inhuman Condition. I reread uh, a lot of just short story collections. And then the ones that I read for the first time, I pretty much put on my top 10 list. So we'll get to those. But yeah, my honorable mentions are largely things I had already read. So, Okay. So my first honorable mention is going to be, it's, a, it's basically um, Mama John Wick. And that is Lola on Fire by Rio Ewers. Probably my favorite Rio Ewers book. And I had Rio on the podcast to talk about this book. So I highly recommend people go back and listen to that. Um, I've already interviewed Rio for his next book, but it's not out yet. So I'm holding on to the interview till the book is released. And his next his next one, people should pre-order if they like Hollywood noir, and that's called No Second Chances. So I want to shout that one out too. But Lola on Fire is basically like Mama John Wick. And um, however, it's written with a lot of panache. And, and what I've learned with, with Rio is that he is... Stephen King or Luke Besson level at writing villains, right? He writes like really nasty, mean villains who you just want to get it really badly. So um, I'm not going to say too much more on that, um, but part of the book takes place in my hometown of Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, in fact, there's a pivotal scene that takes place in Bryan Park. So you Indiana people... Brian Park, uh, where I used to hoop, is uh, in Low on Fire. Um, and then next, I'm kind of cheating because I'm doing three books, but um, Goblin, Pearl, and House at the Bottom of the Lake by Josh Mallerman. I read all three this year. Josh is an incredibly talented horror writer. His success with Bird Box kind of created a situation where he became like the it guy and he became like a real big deal in horror overnight, but um, he earned it because he is a fantastic writer and he's underrated almost because Bird Box was such a kind of gimmicky hit. But and Goblin- the book, so, the book, you know, you always say the book is better. The book is so much better. It's so than, much better than the, than movie. the movie. Yeah, partially because for the first 75 pages, you don't know if there's actually anything happening. Correct. And, yeah, it's Mallory- crazy. Could, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was great. And the sequel, Mallory, is great, too. But Goblin is like kind of um, a moody. It's a collection of novellas about a 
kind of gothic town in um, upstate Michigan. And every single one of the stories is very good. The last two novellas are great and very good horror. Um, house in the Bottom of the Lake is a great haunted house story with uh, about a house at the bottom of a lake. And if you think that wouldn't work, well, try reading it because it, it, he makes the concept work. And then Pearl is also, um, and I actually I have the book underneath my computer right now, so I can't grab it. Um, but uh, Pearl is, if you, if you say the concept of Pearl out loud, it sounds ridiculous, like it would never work um, because it's about a telepathic pig. It's a very haunting and great horror novel um, with a very, very strange concept. And... Um, we're all used to strange concepts, Dave. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. you and I have both read some strange things. Yes, yes. And um, and look, I know I'm a little biased. Mellerman's already been on my podcast three times, and Josh is coming back for a fourth, <laughs> coming up here soon to talk about Pearl. So um, he's he's I think he's great. Probably the only book of his that I didn't give five stars to was Unbury Carol, his Western. And I still liked Unbury Carroll. I, I think he's 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 he has not written a book yet that I haven't liked, and that is saying something. Um, have you read anything besides Bird Box, or have you just read Bird Box? I just, uh, Mallory is on my in my bookshelf to read. Uh, it's just one of those so things good. That I'll get to it at some. That's why most of my books I think are older books because by the time I get to them, it's already moved into the next year. As you'll see, my list contains several books from last year. It's just a matter of getting to them. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, I think um, Mallerman the hype is 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 real. Um, I I really like Inspection. If you're looking for a non uh, bird box um uh title to read i think inspection is very underrated of of his of his books had him on the show to talk about goblin and you would really like goblin though yeah you know goblin is is another one on my list i love books and, and you'll see when i when i get to my list at least my number two i love books that that have multiple stories or or, or small novellas that have a tied in location or a tied in character or a tied in you'd love goblin and 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 i really think i'd like that yeah and then um another one that i think you would like uh the last two honorable mentions one of them is the book of accidents don't tell me much about this one because this is definitely like in the next two books i'll probably read because i was uh, the only thing i've read by wendy didn't let me say the title sorry sorry gosh i was excited by it go ahead the Book of Accidents by <laughs> Chuck Windig, and I would not spoil this book for because I think the less you know, the better. It's one of those books that if you go into it not reading too much about what it's about, the first hundred pages are absolutely a trick, a sleight of hand um, to make you think you're about to read something that you're not. Even if you think, even if you've been told that's coming, I don't think you're. You're. There's no way to guess <laughs> where it's going is yeah. an author who I just think is consistently pretty good. I love his Star Wars novels. Yeah, really I was about great. to say that's that's the only novel I've actually read by him for some reason, but when I when someone recommended the Book of Accidents and they didn't tell me anything about it, it might have even been in your review which was just like pick it up and read it. Yeah, don't read it. I read his at one of his aftermath novels which was that Star he put 
he made like a gap novel from Star Wars, right? That went between his, Jedi his, and the Force Awakens, or at least one of those. That's the one I read. And I like his writing because he's also done, I think, some comic writing too. Yeah, yeah. And um, he's written, a, he did a kind of an end of the world stand like epic a couple of years ago called The Wanderers. But it was, it was pretty good. I liked it. And then I read like kind of a techno thriller thing that he did a couple of years ago called Invasion. That was, there was nothing bad about it. I just, it just didn't hook me. Uh, and, um, but this one I, re- I really, really liked. I reached out to him to come on the podcast and we traded a few messages and just couldn't work out the times, which is too bad because I had, I had a lot of questions about this book. I would love to have talked to Chuck about it. But anyways, and then the last honorable mention in this, I think I read last year and, but at the very end of the year, because it came out in December. And so, or it was a book from last year that I, I don't think I read till January. And that's The Blade Between by Sam J. Miller. And it's a kind of small town horror novel. Miller is definitely influenced by like the Bradbury thing of the small town horror thing, but he comes from a very weird and unique small town that's very not Bradbury like, and that's an upstate New York town. He's an he's an activist in New York City, and so the main character kind of is also from the small New York town that was built on the whaling industry. There's like gentrification and all those kinds of issues, but there's also whale ghosts. It's a ghost story with whale ghosts. And all right. I was in on the book until you just said that. I'm not saying I won't read the book, but I was just now we're look psychic pig. I can totally could get into whale ghosts. Uh, well no the, the psychic pig thing keep in mind like if anyone has ever looked in the eyes of a pig and seen how expressive the eyes they're are, smart look pigs are the most one of the most intelligent animals to ever exist some and, and are they, much more intelligent than many humans i know so exactly um especially in your uh, professional yes. capacity um but uh yeah the blade between also like has one of the best sus- suspense gimmicks kind of a a modern version of the um, the calls coming from inside the house that's based on how the mechanics of gay dating apps work. And um, wait, okay, yeah. now you've lost, now you've lost me. I'm no, not no, saying no, it's it a works. bad book because I have that because based on your review, I was going to read it anyway. But you've just put gay dating apps and whale ghosts in the same book, yep, and yep, I'm, I'm yep. in it. I'm and, in it. I'm in it. Yeah, it it it. it, it it all works. Sam really pulls it off. And if you're not familiar with Sam Miller, he wrote a really great cli-fi novel a couple of years ago called Blackfish City. That I like Blackfish City a little bit more than The Blade Between, just because it's the cli-fi thing and everything. But um, this is a very personal novel, and and it's such a unique spin on that small town horror thing. And I love um, I love that I love that about Bradbury because you really anyone who's been my family is from northern chicago anyone who's been like in waukegan where bradbury was you do get that feeling of what it was like and i love books like king does it a lot with his small town Mm -hmm. horror in the northwest i'd be interesting is this a coastal town in this book or is this it's um it's like i think it's like poughkeepsie new york like on the river that um the hudson river that uh sam's writing about and it does a really good job of like because it's a town i don't know but it, but it does a really good job of painting the picture of the, of the town. And that's, that's what you want from this kind yeah, of novel. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
<clears throat> All right. So um, now we're into our list. Uh, Mark, what's your top 10 read of 2000? My top 10 read of 2000 is one I just read and I talked to you about it before. It's called Dirty Heads by Anthony Dries. I don't know if you could see that cover, but that's what it looks like. Uh, I picked this up. Someone just, it might have even been on just a YouTube channel where someone was like, hey, I just read this book. Check it out. Uh, it is, def- it's, it's basically described as a cosmic horror coming of age book and it's about a kid who who's sort of he's he's a little bit older now but he's on the run and he goes back home and you kind of discover what horrible thing happened to him um it's it's a bit i mean it's it's lbgt a little bit it's uh it's got a lot of things going for one thing i loved about it though is the the character is obsessed because they don't have a lot of money with going to the video store when he was younger. And this is something you probably did. I know I did it. And he just, and he just would hang out there not to rent videos, but he'd pull out a sketchbook and he'd try to draw the covers of those old eighties pulpy horror movies. This takes place in 1990, I think. Yeah. I would a lot of time spend more time trying to pick the movie that I was going to rent than than um than actually sitting down and watching the movie I yes was oh my yeah. wife still hates that i mentioned it the other day last night when we were driving home i go hey do you think there's a blockbuster we could go to because she <laughs> remembers just me wandering around there for hours trying to and this is when i was in my 20s right yeah trying to find it but it is uh it had a lot of stuff that was near and dear to me because i i remember watching a lot of these movies that he talks about and again it just kind of goes a little bonkers it is a coming of age story and it is cosmic and some of the descriptive aspects of some things that happen in it, I was just really impressed with it. Uh, I just, you know, my top 10 is a little bit different. I'm not going to say they're the, and, and I can tell you there's at least one book on my top 10 from this year that you are going to be angry at me because it was your number one book from last year and it's my number four book. Uh, but it's just books that I enjoyed the way in the order I enjoyed them. Uh, yeah, you see, yeah. you're rolling your eyes right now. You already know where I'm going on this. Yeah, well, well, so who published that? Um, this is by Black T-Shirt Books, which might be, I don't know if it's... So it's an indie, yeah. Yeah, it's an indie publisher. It's an indie publisher. Okay, now I, I feel because like... Because there's a little tiny picture of the guy in the corner instead of on the back. Yeah, so. I feel like I've been at conferences or conventions or something with Aaron or, or something, or we have mutual friends, but... Yeah, I'd read his, another his book. I'd been... definitely read another book by him. It was like a $10 book, brand new, and I was I I was completely satisfied. It was a good hour and a half of my life that I took to read it. It was very good. I liked it. All right, so my number 10 uh, recent guest on the podcast um, is uh, No Gods, No Monsters by Cadwell Turnbull, who is Caribbean author who I he believe he lives in well he went to college in Pittsburgh and a lot of the book takes place in Pittsburgh but some of it takes place uh back um in his uh island hometown and um so this was cool because I just got it from the library based on the title No Gods No Monsters which is a play on the no gods, no masters, um, common phrase from the anarchist movement. So I thought this must have some kind of an anarchist thing. And you could call this book an anarchist werewolf novel if you wanted to, because um, it has a lot of anarchist politics and activism mixed in. 
There are a lot of werewolves, but there's other monsters. This book kind of feels like, like I was shocked when I was doing the interview that the author had not, that um, Cadwell had not read um, Nightbreed or Cabal before. He never even seen the movie because it has a lot of the same kind of monsters as heroes kind, kind of thing going on, Cabal, but from a different, unique kind of modern, dark, urban fantasy activist kind of thing. One of the most crucial scenes in the book is when uh, the Anarchist Collective bookstore, named after Le Guin's um, The Planet in the Dispossessed, by the way, nice little Easter egg. The the they have like a, a consensus meeting, and so I kind of had flashbacks to all the anarchist organizing that I've done in my life. And um, but it's kind of fitting that one of the most pivotal scenes of the book takes place in a consensus meeting for an anarchist novel, and it's the first of a fantasy series, and it's really cool. I'm not sure that it will work for everyone who's not really in to kind of lefty politics but um but at the same time like i thought it was a really cool fantasy book and i think even if you don't agree with everything that it stands for it, it's a good story so um the only problem i can see with it too is that the monsters aren't quite as weird as as barker's monsters and if you know that could be um kind of for people who have read cabal you might be thinking, oh, we just need weirder monsters. That's the only negative I have on the book. For the most part, I thought it was fantastic. So that's No Gods, No Monsters by Cadwell Turnbull. Uh, Mark, you're number nine. My number nine is a, uh, and I mentioned this author before because it was on a, he had written a, <clears throat> is one of my honorable mentions, which is Junji Ito Uzumaki. This was a, uh, a manga a while ago. I had never read it. It was something that was always on my mind to read because a long time ago they made a movie out of it uh, the book it, it's a graphic novel much much better and basically uh, it's about a small japanese village where there's a curse and i'll just give you the fifty thousand foot overview and the curse is people start getting obsessed with spirals and spiral patterns mm. it's really abstract but man it's haunting it, it really is haunting and and I think when we were on with Laird, Laird mentioned him is one of my one of his favorite short stories, and and I I agree with Laird in in saying that people who because I know you read uh, I I believe you you do read graphic novels but you've even said it's hard for you to review a graphic novel, I think that's yeah. what you said last year's podcast. Uh, people who who neglect graphic novels as far as a storytelling medium. Or just pick this book up and read it. I mean, it's a really thick book just because that's the nature of of a collected manga. And I'm not a big manga reader. Well, my it, uh, my thing with graphic novels is that I just I, it's harder for me to write a lot of words about the process of reading and and digesting yeah. a, a graphic novel. I like reading them. In sure. fact, last year I was I read a lot of saga last year. Um, which is great which is great yeah yeah which weirds me out with that new taco bell commercial with the kids cosplaying saga and it is very i haven't seen that commercial what 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 are they dressed like with televisions on their heads no they had the horns the, the, oh okay yeah, yeah it's it's weird because it's got to be saga they're supposed to be cosplaying but it, it's just very weird to me anyways um yeah so i yeah i definitely need to read that that sounds great 
I mean, um, it's weird. It's definitely cosmic. It's uh, it's cosmic. It's body horror, and it's just it's purely Japanese, right? It's that it's that haunted curse that you can't get rid of, sort of a thing. So it, it's a great book. That was my number nine. All right, um, my number eight is the last house on needless on the on needless street by katrina ward and that your number no you need your number nine that's your number nine oh number nine sorry yeah i don't have my numbers written down so that might be a problem um my number nine is the last house on needless street by katrina ward and i'm gonna be a little cagey on this one not just because you are currently reading it Yep, um, right here, as a matter of fact. So yeah, uh, this is one of the early releases by Tor Night Nightfire, and we're excited that Tor has started their own horror line. That's really exciting news. And this book is a reissue of a British release because I believe she's a British author. And I'm going to be cagey about what I say about it, not just because you're reading it, but because uh, I think the less people know, the better. It's another um, one of those books. Yeah, it's one of those. It's not what you think it is. Books. This book is kind of like a puzzle box, and um, there are multiple times where you think you figured it out, and you have not. Um, and you, and listen, I was already told that before I read it I, by the blurbs, and it did not hurt my yep. experience because the, I blur- still- the blurbs are ridiculous on this book. By the way, I was. It's like every author, every horror, every notable horror author loves this book according yeah. to the blurbs. I was kind of blown away. The whole back cover is just blurbs, as a matter of fact, I think. Yeah, and I was sold with seeing uh, Sarah Pimborough blurb because she hasn't really blurbed a horror novel in a long time, and uh, Sarah being uh, low-key one of my favorite horror, write- horror writers who doesn't write horror anymore, but um, I still like her thrillers uh, a lot, and I'm really looking forward to Insomnia, um, which is already out in England, and um, it's supposed to be her her best since Behind Her Eyes, I thought was much better than people were giving it credit for. But that's besides the point. Katrina Ward. Um, yeah, this book is, you know, when you start it and um, there's a POV chapter narrated by the cat. And you could easily think the book is going to be a lot goofier than it is. It is not. Stick with it. It is... A great horror novel. There's a reason why Paul Tremblay, Joe Hill, Stephen King, Sarah Pembroke have all got blurbs on this book. I'm not saying it's for everyone. And, and there's a reason why this book is controversial is a lot of people give up before. And this was my kind of my problem with the new Matrix is a lot of times I saw a lot of people say I made it 15 minutes and then and stopped. And it's like, well, you don't uh, know what the story is yeah you have no idea what you you almost can't have an opinion i saw a lot of people mark this book as uh dn dnf did not finish um and so a lot of people gave up on it um they are wrong i will um, say this you did say in your review because i read your your spoiler free review on it you said or or you texted it to me i don't remember it was one of the two you said there's a very fine line between a two-star book and a five-star book. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, no. So which is that, what intrigued me about the book, actually. I was like, I got to know what that is. Okay, so let me explain that. That That's a good point. So what I said in the review was that there's a thin line between one star and five star. Oh, one star. Okay. Yeah. Because if you 
give up on this book, you're going to just be like, God, that thing sucked because there's things going on that will all make sense eventually that look incredibly dumb through the first 150 pages, including the cat narration. Okay. Um, all this stuff will make sense. But the thing is the the line between where I could see somebody being like, when they get to, to the explanations that it will not satisfy every reader. So some people will, that, that line between, no, I'm not going there and I can't, I can't do it. And holy shit, this is brilliant. It's very thin. Well, we'll and the reason why next year because I will see where I am on it. Yeah, it's and, good. I look, I'm intrigued in the first two chapters with the cat. So, and look, I think one of the reasons why a lot of writers really like it and a lot of readers do not is because a lot of writers know what it takes to make that story work, whereas a reader may just be like why did I read all these pages? Because it's not going to be as exciting for people who, who don't. And I think a lot of readers will, will who enjoy seeing how the craft works will like it. And that's why I think you will like it. But I think that's why a lot of people just couldn't hang. And that's as, as best that I can say without giving, up, giving it away. But yeah, you and I will definitely talk uh, offline when uh, finish reading it. So that is um, mine. That's my number nine. Uh, and you gave your number nine. So uh, your number eight. Well, my number eight, I'm going to not talk about because you're going to talk about it as your number six, which is The Worm and His Kings by Haley Piper, which I, and we'll talk about it then. I just really dug that book. So, like yeah. so when you get to your part of it, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. So my next, uh, my number eight um see i don't have my numbers here that was a really dumb move on my part um is uh Sorrowland by rivers solomon third book by river solomon um river solomon is a um non-binary author from england they write radical um uh, science fiction mostly in horror uh and wrote a book based on a clipping song the hip-hop group clipping the guy from hamilton has a the one of the actors from hamilton who was in the show snow piercer um has a band called clipping and he does like afro futurists hip-hop right this band clipping and they had a song called the deep that was about um former slaves thrown off the ship who become mer, mer people and river solomon wrote the a novel based on that i read that last year and how was how was that that sounds like something i would read it was cool but of the three river solomon books i've read it was my least favorite but you might like it more than me um and and river solomon's first book was a generation ship called the unkindness of ghosts i believe i'm brain farting in the title but it was a very good generationship book well and actually that was a case of a book that while i was reading it i did not like it and then as i wrote about the book for my review i realized that it was good <laughs> that it was a good book that was hard for me to read because of the specific style of it i'm trying to remember you don't particularly like generationship stories though 
correct? Or no, no, I do. Um, I, in fact, you have my, a criticism of them in some way. I just don't remember what it is. It's, no, my favorite generation ship novel is Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is a critical. That book is a deconstruction. There you go of the generation ship um, uh, uh, novel. And so good job, Mark. You're reading my reviews. I am so. reading your reviews. I it just I'm trying to recall. Look, I think one of the best generationship novels, and I you said tangents are fine. I'll get off on a tangent. Was that Peter Watts novel that that you Freeze Frame that, Revolution? Yeah, I loved that. Great. Book. That was great because it wasn't your typical generationship novel, right? It that, was that, that book. That novel. It was great. Was incredible. That was my top read of the year. Whatever year. A couple years ago, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was a great book. It was a great book. Yeah, Freeze Frame Revolution by Peter Watts um, is the book he's talking about. Um, yeah, so Sour Land by River Solomon. This is a radical novel. It's kind of gothic. It's horror. It's science fiction. It's fantasy. Um, it's a lot of those things. It's a radical coming-of-age story. Um, it's a, The main character is a woman, a teenage woman who's pregnant, living on a kind of off the grid black like radical black radical compound and she escapes into the wilderness and raises her young child and the baby she gives birth to in the wild basically so it's kind of surreal and then she develops uh superpowers (laughs) and has to so the book deals with race gender uh, misogyny sexual identity inherent racism in the american system it's very well-intentioned and um it or it talks about it, it has lots of really good ideas and it talks about um the misguided radicalism kind of combating the terrible system colonialism uh state experimentation uh, like all kinds of things it's a very dense and layered novel um but but very good and um i also just has like really intense action scenes when the main character develops an exoskeleton for reasons um and uh so i really liked sour uh uh sorrow land by river solomon it's my favorite that they have written of the three that i've read but i'm three for three i liked all three river solomon books that i've read so um yeah so that is my number eight that was your number eight yeah exactly i got yours numbered i don't know how you don't have yours number. Uh, your, num- your number seven my number seven uh and you probably maybe you remember this or not i want to say it was early last year or maybe the end of last year where i go hey i need a sci-fi book that's just not your typical sci-fi book i just want to read something different and you recommended this book and i really dug this book I can't remember if I'd read it at the end of last year, or this year. So I'm putting it on this year's, this year's thing, which was the Skinner by Neil Asher. Uh, wow. Love the Skinner. Yeah. Love the Skinner because it wasn't just world building. And I, and I have another, I've gridlocked by Neil Asher, I think is what you said read next. And I'll get to that at this point, but I needed a breather after the Skinner because such a unique concept and, and you got pirates and you got, you got all kinds of stuff. In body it. horror, body horror, pirates, an AI, right. Who runs the universe for the most part. It, it's a, a it's con great. con worthy villain. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. A one con. of the best villains I've read in a science fiction novel in a long time. Um, yeah. The Skinner is the, 
is one of my favorite 21st century science fiction novels. Um, great, great book. I loved it. It was it it scratched the itch I needed, which wasn't your typical. You know, I was getting tired of po- and I don't have a problem with post-apocalyptic books, but I was getting tired of post-apocalyptic books. I was getting tired of zombies. I was getting tired of all of these sort of tropes that were really popular at the time. Uh, although I would argue that 2020 has been an incredible year for a rebirth of horror and genre books and, and not a lot of recycled ideas. Uh, yeah, even though it's almost two years away now. Yes, uh, yeah, it was. Right, I, it was. Yeah, I just wrote a whole article that um, I'm working on submitting right now about the horror novels of 2020. Um, but I will say the thing about the Skinner that's really one of the, so it's kind of like Dune meets Cronenberg meets like Master and Commander meets. Yeah, it's like, Master, and I don't like Master and Commander type books, right? I just don't, but it, it's just this, it's just this cool world building thing. And I know there are follow-up books because Asher has written this whole sort of timeline right in the way he wrote the books they jump around in different parts of the timeline mm-hmm. i'm not interested in reading whatever if there were a sequel to this book i just i'm not interested in that i'll read something before but I, i'm yeah. good with this book yeah yeah I, I agree with you and as somebody who's read the other books i think you're you're making the right choice my thing with asher Asher's great i love him but he he has a lot of ideas and he writes a lot of stuff I don't think he's ever reached the height of the, just the creativity and awesomeness as he has, as he did in the Skinner. The Skinner is freaking just great masterpiece. It was nuts. It was nuts. It was great. Grid linked is really good. And a lot of the um, Cormac books, uh, the agent Cormac books are, are, are really good. Uh, (laughs) There was, uh, I had an experience one time where a weirdness of, learning that people were reading my reviews when we were living in Portland, I wrote like a bunch about the Skinner when I read it because I was involved with some of the activism in town and things like that. I didn't know, but one of the TV anchors in, in Portland read my review of the Skinner and actually tweeted at me, thanking me for reading the Skinner. And it was super bizarre to me because it's such a weird book, (laughs) right? Well, it is, it is, but it was great. It was great. Yeah. So um, my number seven is also science fiction, and it's a new book, brand new, called Machinehood by S.B. Divya, who was recently on the pod. And Machinehood, I'm not going to go super long on this one, but um, Machinehood is a book that I, I have two books on my list with this topic, which is Machine Rights, um, AIs like that considering the idea of rights for artificial intelligence and our artificial intelligence living beings this book takes place about 100 years in the future it's not a dystopia which is which is kind of refreshing because divya basically writes or kind of wants to put forward the idea that we've fixed a lot of the environmental problems in this book and that that now we have these other issues which is that people, it's kind of about post-humanism and people like kind of blending with technology and what, and, and Divya is, um, she's a scientist and she's an expert in neural, neuro stuff. Uh, She went to Caltech 
for for neurotechnology and so she knows what she's talking about it's a very interesting uh book on the subject but she also likes to write action adventure so there's there's plenty of action in the story and so yeah yeah machinehood by sb divia i highly recommend it you know it it brings up a lot of important issues including animal rights which of course i appreciate that she put a lot of uh because the machines and the animals in this future uh, team up for their rights um, in in this future. So, uh, which I really appreciated, of course, as an animal Look, rights. But, but let's get realistic. All right. Animal rights, I'm with you 100%. Machine rights, that could be the most dangerous thing in the entire world to ever exist in the history of ever. Because we've all seen the Terminator and we all joke about it. But when the singularity does come, we are screwed. Well, that, that's maximum overdrive on maximum overdrive at that point. That's one of the reasons why I think it's a really interesting book, but I don't want to give it away. So, all right, it's on my. I'll put it down here on my list to read. Machine Hood by S. B. Divya. Um, yeah, and so Mark, your next one. This is another David. I don't know why, but there are a lot of books on my list which I got from you. This is another book that you. I said, give me something weird. And you did, man. Last Days by Brian Evanson. Uh, nice. Wow. It's funny. I don't have a lot of these books to show in front because what I usually do is I pass them on to other people. And my brother gets a lot of these books when I'm done. When I when I gave it to him, he and he reads a lot of weird stuff just like I do. Same kind of thing. And he goes, I don't know if I could get through this book. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, it's just for some reason, it's just too grotesque for me. I didn't find it grotesque. I found it fascinating. And and for those who don't know, it's a book about it's a detective story, but it's about a, a guy investigating a cult of and I don't want to give too much weight, but it is a cult of amputees. We'll just go with that. It's a lot Body more than mutilators. that. It's Body on the mutilators. Back. Yes. Yeah. And you are ranked by in within the cult by how many parts of your body you've had amputated or have chosen to have amputated. And he's hired because he went through a traumatic experience as a detective where he had cut off his own hand. Uh, none of that is a spoiler because it all explains, it's all like in the first chapter of the book. Right. But man, the book is so, I loved it. I, again, wow. Um, to the point where I've gotten, in none of his other books, short story books I put on here, only because I still have one or two stories in each of those books. When I read short stories, I'll read like a short story here and then I'll put the book down and then I'll read a short story here. But uh, I love Evanson as a writer. I, oh, probably the next book I'll read after Needless Street, and the only reason I picked up Needless Street and moved it to the head of my book pile is because of your review, is Immobility, which you've told me to read over and over and over. My favorite. Uh, my yeah, favorite that'll Evanson. Be, that'll be yeah. the next one on there. But man... Last Days was a great book. And you I think you mentioned he's doing a sequel maybe of it or 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 he's thought about it, right? No, he's working on the sequel. He talked about it on this here podcast. Oh, was, I will I'll be on it. I'll be all over it. It was great. Yeah, when he was promoting his new short story collection, the uh glass glassy burning floor of hell. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, uh, Evanson, obviously one of my favorite writers. And that was the book that I discovered him on too. So we're on the same boat. No, um, great. he came, did a signing at Powell's when I lived in Portland for last days with uh Jamia Jefferson and a split reading. And it was funny because um I went to see Jamia 
um, did not know who Brian was. And when I was down in the horror section before the signing, I was like, who's this guy who's got a basket full of Thomas Ligotti books. And then he was the guy that went up and did the reading. So um, I will say that a lot of people who I've read, because I like to go on after I've read the book and see what other people thought of the book. Some people were let down by the end of the book. I don't think so at all. I think the no. end of the book is where it needs to be. It's it, 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 it's great. Yeah. Again, it, it opens it up for sequel. That's obviously not a, a secret because we just mentioned it, but it's but it's perfect. It really it really was a great ending. Well, and Evanson wasn't, I think, really trying to write a novel with that one. He was just kind of experimenting with the idea and it just kept getting ahead of him. Now, when you read Immobility, it's much more obvious that he's trying to write uh, a, a commercial science fiction novel for Tor. So yeah, this um, one wasn't commercial, but it was, it had me, I think I wrote you after the first chapter, I was like, I'm hooked. I'm just, yeah, in. there's just yeah. no, there's yep. just no way around it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He's great. All right. So my next novel is one that you have read and that's already been on your list. And that is, um, so where am I at? Am I at number six? You're number six. You're number six. <laughs> uh, number six, uh, The Worm and His Kings by Haley Piper. Here. And my brother has my copy, so. Um, yeah, also a uh, former guest on the podcast, Haley Piper. Um, this, uh, was, she, was she a guest on your podcast after? I heard that. Was that after you read this book or before you read this book? After I read the book, yeah. Okay, I, okay. Yeah, it was all, it was mostly about Worm and His Kings. So if you really want to hear me go in deep with, with the author on this book, I went really, really deep on this book. And the Worm and His Kings is, I'm kind of cheating a bit because it is a 2020 release, but I read it this year. Um, and since it came out in 2020, I, I, I think I'm going to count it. Um, the Worm and His Kings is um, cosmic horror. It's queer horror, LBGTQ plus uh, horror. Um, it is, um, you know, really good stuff. I, I really love this book. So the Worm and His Kings, what, what I really liked about it was that the cosmic horror and the personal horror and the, everything that kind of like comes down to, there's the personal and the cosmic is, is, is very close to each other. Um, I think Haley is an incredibly talented writer. I know that she was not particularly i don't think she's like a huge clive barker reader but the, this book gave me tons of Cl early clive barker vibes um whether it was intentional or not and that's you know a compliment so I, um, I i i would definitely agree with you oftentimes in lbg uh tq stuff you see the characters and their personal issues and and they make a social statement and that's perfectly well and good and then you see the horror which is something else, but this really brings them together in a, in a yeah. fantastic synergy. Uh, the book, I, I, I recommended this book to several friends of mine who, who do read a lot of cosmic horror. And one of them said the following, which I think was a perfect example. Very rarely in a book, is there a description of the, of the outcome that was described so well that she does of what cosmic horror actually is. Mm -hmm. the the way she describes the the resolution to the conflict in this book i mean it really was done fantastic i mean i've seen it in movies obviously the thing that kind of a thing but the way she described it 
And the book is a very small book. And honestly, she goes right. She she skips all the the BS, right? She goes right yeah. before the story. And I love that. I love that. In, in one book, I've heard people talk about of hers, which is also on my shelf over there, which is The Possession of Natalie Glasgow. That's that's going to be to be read, too. I've heard that's very good. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no. And I think Haley is a really talented writer as far as, you know, there's so it's a short book, but it it has more packed into it, more epic scale packed into it than, you know, some 400 page cosmic yeah. novels, you know, was this an independent, what press was that from David? Cause I'm uh, surprised. Off Limits, which I believe, uh, I can't, I don't remember the woman's name who started Off Limits. Okay. It's, so it's not, it's not a sub press uh, of, of a bigger, I'm surprised she has not, from from that book that I read and other books that I've heard about of hers, I'm surprised she has not been picked up by a big because I her ideas in this book were just fantastic. And man, and, and I don't yeah, even want to talk much more about it, but man, she will just the simple setup, a very simple setup, right? Which is, and again, you'll know this in the first sentence: people are homeless, people go missing, but it's become so much more than that. It it was yeah. It was great. No, Haley is is one of the great new voices in horror, and um, she's, you know, she's going to be a, a major voice in the genre uh, moving forward, and it's it's obvious, um, you know. So this is this is a great place to start because it's a great great sampler. So, um, so did you you already did your number six, right? Yes, that was last day's my number six. Okay. So your number five. My number five is a collection of uh, a man that I actually was on the podcast with you uh, with, which is uh, occultation and other in other stories, which was by Laird Barron. I Laird. read this. Yeah, I read this, dude. He, I kind of I don't want to bug the guy, but I'm totally, uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally a mark for him. I think it's just uh, he's, he's <laughs> I'm a fanboy. He's great. I. I I, I sent you a note. I'm getting a dog soon, and I wanted horror-inspired names. I think we're focusing more on on Barker, uh, but you know, I think my wife mentioned we should name the dog Toast, which I think is kind of funny. But I almost wanted to call Laird or send him a note going, "Hey, give me some dog names," because <laughs> it's just his 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 imagination and his creativity is so cool. And in this book, uh, which well, then you'd be the, able to say Laird Baron named your dog. Yeah, I know. Plus, I'd be able to say that. Uh, I would say, you know, Mysterium Tremendium, I think, was is probably the main story in this book, which, again, coming off of what we talked about with uh, with Haley Piper in The Worm and His Kings, another situation where he, he an author is perfectly able to describe the actual horror that happened, the result of cosmic horror. Uh, yeah, occult, Occultation and, and other stories great book my number five uh yeah laird is a great short story author you know i'm I'm in the weird rare camp where i like his crime fiction uh, a little better than his horror um because i'm kind of a novel structure guy and he writes really great crime novels i'm apprehensive about doing that and here's why i love tom piccarelli's horror stuff but when he kind of went into crime stuff i didn't like it as much and i and I'll get to Laird's crime stuff at some point, but I kind of don't want to let go of his horror stuff. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Uh, Laird is a much better crime writer than Pick was. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I just just to be honest, but I wasn't a huge Piccarelli fan. I love Choir of Ill Children. That's yeah, one of my favorite books of all time. Choir, Choir of Ill Children is a masterpiece, but I'm not I'm not a big Pick fan. Besides that, um, you know, I think I think you would you know give give Laird's crime fiction. A oh, I will. Taste. I will. There's no question. I will. I'm just gonna absorb his horror fiction bit by bit by bit slowly so i because i don't want to run out of it you know it's kind of i don't want to just go I've, I've read it all now i, I just don't he's, it's that he's good. still going so you don't have to worry about that i know i know um okay so my number five is by an up-and-coming author um uh by the name of stephan i think king stephen king maybe he's uh, going as you've said i, I heard he's going places yeah um yeah later by stephen king um my number five um i'm not a huge fan of 21st century stephen king like i love stephen king as a person and as a personality uh but i don't really and i read every book when it comes out anyways but i'm never like super satisfied this is the first five star that i think it's the best king novel since dr sleep or maybe 112263 when did 112263 uh, come out like 2012 i believe was it i was really impressed with that book dr Steve no, was that, very good but that one i loved what he did those and, are the these are the three that i really like from the century however later um and i because i like his novellas and like you know all the novellas in full dark no stars i think are are great for example and um and this is a shorter novel written for the Hard Case Crime series. Um, have you read later? Have you read? I have not read later. I read that first novel in the Hard Case Crime series that he did. Yeah. Which this, I don't recall was, which I thought was okay. Yeah, this one is more supernatural, I, I would say. It's more of a horror novel. Um, and uh, it has a crime element. But um so here's here's the thing that people should know about my reading habits is that I hate first person. I my least favorite tense is first person because I think most writers cheat constantly in first person and it takes me out of the book because I'm constantly thinking about like well why was this person writing this book? What do you mean cheat? Well, the thing is is that in order to tell the story, for example, an example of cheating in first person is that they'll get really descriptive for certain parts of the story. They'll talk about things that no one would actually really talk about. They, you know, no one would write an action scene, for example, the way like a lot of first person narratives do. And I'm constantly looking at senses and saying like, why would I write that as a first person thing? Now, if it's a third person omnipresent, it's I'm fine being in the hands of a storyteller telling me the story the way they want to tell it and i can just go with it now really good first person if it's a really good novel i'll forget about it i'll i'll go with it i can but what i think is um stephen king is the best at writing first person in horror because he never cheats if you read dolores claiborne um it's always in her voice He's not writing as Stephen King telling this story in first person. And she's it's, not becoming omnipresent telling facts that she wouldn't know. Exactly. In a different so way. Yeah. If you read Dolores Claiborne, it's Dolores writing that novel. And it's her voice consistently on every page. 
Now, what's cool about later is that it's written in a kid's voice and it doesn't cheat. And it's a person who is growing up and coming of age as the novel progresses and it doesn't cheat. And so it's really, really well done first person. He uses the first person in really smart ways. It's a time, it's an example. Later is an example of where like, oh yeah, this guy's a master. You know, this 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 guy's doing it. Because definitely we've seen times like last couple of years, like under the dome where he's like, where it's like a big mess of like seat of the pants writing where it gets totally out of control. And you can tell that he had no plan or whatever. And so there are times where he's not the master. And for example, like I read Billy Summers this year also. Yeah, you t- you you waved me away from that book. Billy Pretty Summers quickly. is not is not a good book. And so for as masterful as later is, Billy Summers is just as like he needed an editor. Like I, I feel like sometimes King just he can write whatever he wants. So like sometimes like it's not necessarily the best idea to go for, but he does it anyways because he can. And I'm, I'm telling you, later is just it's him in the pocket. It's it's him in the zone. And man, I love later. It's really good. So, right. um, Mark, your number four. My number four is. And again, this is your number one last year, which is The Only Good Indian by Stephen Graham Jones. Now, I have reasons why it's number four, because I can explain why I have one through three, and that is not this book, okay. uh, personally. I'm not, I I'm not arguing I, with you. I did love this book, okay? It, it was something fresh, and yet at the same time brought me back to childhood of watching an old slasher film. Um, there is some stuff in this book that is... Awesome kinds of some Philip K. Dick stuff, uh, almost right. Where oh, the fan, is the fan, right? Yeah. Where we've all had moments like that, where we're like, "Did I just see what I thought I saw?" No, it was a trick in my mind. And of course, in the real world, hopefully, it is just a trick in your mind. It's very not, time out of joint. Yeah, and that's and and it's also very time out of joint in that that's what what influenced Stephen to tell this oh, did it? story. Because that, yeah, that scene very much is a time out of joint scene where he's up there fixing the fan and then the fan blades are spinning and he sees something through the fan blades for a second. Uh, yeah, very yeah. cool. The basketball scene, which I thought was very cool. Uh, I thought there was a lot of great stuff going on here. I I don't know why, and maybe because it was partially overhyped. Not, I mean, you loved it, but a bunch of people were telling me about how great it was. And maybe I was expecting way too much out of it. <laughs> it won the Mark weird. Twain American Voices Award, which is yeah. crazy. I know. Yeah. I know. It was it was a spectacular novel. There's no doubt. It's for it to make my top four is is pretty high. Uh I I like his writing quite a bit. I still haven't read My Heart as a Chainsaw. And what's funny is I got an art I I someone gave me an art copy of that or I there's a bookstore in town, which when they're done with their art copies, they'll put them in a basket and go here, take them. And I still haven't read it, even though I had an art copy of it. And you've said it's not as good, but it's still a good. Well, book. there's a lot of people who like it more. Really? Um, the reason I didn't, it's a personal thing, but I, slashers are not my favorite form of horror. And which is weird because only good Indian very much becomes a slasher book. Uh, it does, but, but it, it's in a, done so well it's done so well and the difference is is that my heart is a chainsaw is not just a slasher but it's a 
love letter and an homage to slashers to the point where it got a little irritating for me because I have not the book that I wanted to read that I mentioned I left out in the rain was the final girl support group. And I kind of felt that that was going to be this homage to slashers, which again, I never got really to read because the book got ruined. Uh, It'll get there at some point, but (laughs) no, it's not. And I should say that I like my heart as a chainsaw. I think it's really good. I just think for me personally, I found the in jokes and the, the, constant references to slasher movies for me personally it was irritating other people will love it and it's it's i still gave it five stars i still think it's a genius book it's just for me personally it was not as good as the only good indians because well first of all the only good indian i think is just perfect and I think it's a book that we'll be teaching decades from now. I, I what I loved about the only good Indian is in, in in I think as his writing as he's gone on, he's although he's always been he's always had the cultural aspects of his of his Native American mm. culture in his books. But this book and you can easily go, well, it's a story about Native Americans. No, it's much more than that, because you can tell that he puts his heart into this book. Well, it's a reversal of the Native American, correct? Tro- the tropes and, and absolutely, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, by the way, I would say my second favorite Stephen Graham Jones novel is Mongrels, and I think, um, like for example, it's just My Heart Is a Chainsaw is good, but I would put uh, The Least of My Scars and Mongrels ahead of My Heart Is a Chainsaw, just me personally. What's that being said, I'm really excited for Don't Fear the Reaper, the sequel to My Heart Is a Chainsaw, which got announced recently. I, I, I saw a book of his, and I'm trying to remember what it was, a book of his at the used bookstore that I did not pick up, which is a little weird, uh, because it the it, it almost seemed like a silly premise to a book, and I'm looking now as we talk. Oh, is it Zombie book. Sharks? and? Oh, no, it was called, I don't know. It's, it's oh, the Zombie Bake Off is what it was called. And I, I think that's like, a short story collection. So, oh, is it? I yeah. I don't know. It didn't seem like a short story collection, but it could have just been the pressing that I had gotten. Well, I... Night of the Mannequins, which know. came out last year, has kind of a, a goofy concept, but it it it's not when yeah. when you get into it. Like it sounds goofy, but when you get into it, it it's a it's a very good horror novel. So that's my number four, and I know you've talked about it a bunch on your podcast, and there's no reason to keep <laughs> going into it. But I thought Stephen Graham Jones, and again. These are my books. I really don't read many very, very new books, but you'll see on my list, a lot of my books are like the past couple of years. So no, very good. Liked it a lot. Yeah. And uh, if you want more Stephen Graham Jones basketball content, uh, we did a, a, a an NBA season preview with Josh Mellerman, Paul Tremblay, and Stephen Graham Jones in this podcast because I wanted to put together the biggest, best, horror panel and not talk about horror at all Um, mentioning paul tremblay yesterday uh, or two days ago i was at cvs which is a drugstore here i don't know if you guys have i'm sure you do they're a huge drugstore right yeah and i found survivor song in an actual not a trade paperback like but like a a mass market paperback which i didn't even know they made and i love mass market paperback so i just picked it up for like eight bucks 
I, I just love the size of a mass market. So Survivor Song is now on my list to read here too. That's a great always book. on my list to read, but I hadn't read it yet. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, all right, my number four is Good Neighbors by Sarah Langan, another guest on the podcast. I know you're sensing a theme, but if I really like a book, I tend to try and invite them <laughs> on the podcast. And Good Neighbors is kind of a cli-fi um tribute to there's i mean there there's word for word tributes to the monsters are due on maple street in some of the sections of the book um it has a very kind of twilight zone uh episode feel to it it's a social satire about suburbia and climate change and so it's kind of what it does for the suburbs what american psycho did for wall street assholes with like suburban neighbors um it's it it's more of a biting satire than it is kind of a scary book but um uh sarah's such a great writer and um does lots of really clever little things um with that book and um, i don't think it really sold a lot last year so it's unfortunate i want to give more bandwidth to to this book because i thought it was great and um it's just there's a lot of really great and subtle things and when i read a lot of the reviews on goodreads of other people's thoughts on it i didn't hear much um discussion where i felt like people were getting this book so i just want to put another shout out for good neighbors by sarah langan it's a really really great book yeah i've never read her actual i don't think i've ever read a novel by her. i've read a couple stories by her but i've never read a novel where would be a good place to start with her novels would this be a good one to start with um yeah i think so it's really it's really good um i think the keep i think she has one called the keep that might be a little bit more gothic and up your alley but <clears throat> she's she's really good um and uh, of course i think the interview is a good introduction for her too and she might have more to say on that than than, than i would um but yeah uh, i think it's a really 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 great book and she's um She's married to a very underrated horror writer who I want to kind of give a shout out to is JT Petty, who wrote that really uh, super underrated, uh, wrote and directed that super underrated uh, Rear Window Meets Mimic, Mimic 3 sequel, which was really cool. It was like, a, it was like, he basically used, they, they gave him money to make a Mimic sequel, and he basically shoehorned a remake of Rear Window into it. I don't think I've ever seen, I don't, you know what? I stopped after the first mimic. So uh, Lance Hendrickson's in it. Um, all right. And, and uh, he also, he did a, a silent horror movie called. Um, oh shoot. I forget the name of it. Um, but his first student film was a silent horror movie and it was awesome. And he did a horror Western called the burrowers. Oh, okay. I did. see. I love, I did like the burrowers a lot. Yeah, that's Sarah's that's Sarah's husband, JT Petty. So. Very nice. Yeah, a horror couple. So um all right, uh Mark, you're number three. All right. Now when I told you last year when I read this book and I thought it was better than the only good Indian, you said it's a good book, it's just not better than the only good Indian. And that is uh, Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. And I think part of the reason I like the and here's, these are the excuses why it's better than the only good Indian. Part of the reason I like this book is, as I mentioned, I read the reread the haunting of Hill house. I love 
gothic, old family, creepy house books, right? And this book was a great modern retelling with with some cultural aspects of of you know the Mexican culture in it, but deep down inside. It was just a good gothic and cosmic horror book at the same time. And again, and I've already used the, the cliche once, it just scratched the itch I was I was looking for at the time. Uh, and I could see it's, it's probably not as well written as the only good Indian, but crap, I found it entertaining, uh, especially the ending, which in any gothic horror book that involves an old house, you want to see you want to see something spectacular happen at the end to the house and or the people in the house or something. And it does, it satisfies. Yeah. I've already read, uh, um, Sylvia Marina Garcia's more recent book. The velvet was the night. Um, she jumps around in genres quite a bit. Yeah. That's kind of a crime novel. Um, I would say I liked Mexican Gothic a little better than, uh, I like both, but, um, yeah, Mexican Gothic was good. It's not better than the only good Indian, but, uh, the only good Indians, but, um, yeah, it, it I definitely I like how bonkers the third act gets. Um, oh, it gets bonkers too. I was uh yeah, it does. It was like Crimson Peak meets I don't even know what you'd say it meets at the end because it, it was an unexpected ending to me. Yeah, um it's definitely a little bit more Lovecraftian in the in the final act. I, I'm really impressed with like I was shocked at what a big hit it was and that, that you know they were talking about it on npr it was and all it, over the place it's it all was. over the place so yeah good for for sylvia marino garcia that's really cool um somebody who's been grinding it out um for a long time so that's cool to see um yeah i i i, I like mexican gothic but uh but my number three is science fiction and that's project hail mary by andy weir um who's uh, known as the author of The Martian, mostly. Um, it's Andy Weir's third novel. I've read all three. Um, uh, <laughs> the Martian being the least favorite of, of the three for me. Um, and I think he's getting better. I went to <clears throat> an event at University of uh, California, San Diego, signing for his book before this, Artemis. Um, and uh really had a nice time at that event and um so i was kind of you know he he kind of briefly mentioned this book that he was working on it at the time um during some of kind of the social hour that they had and so i was locked in i wanted to read it but i think project hail mary is the best of anywhere's books um have you read any of anywhere's stuff i read i read the martian um which i liked uh, Artemis, I, I, I read the, you know, I read the, the blurbs and I read the, the synopsis and it didn't get me going. And, and honestly, I didn't even pick up Project Hail Mary to read it because while I thought the, the Martian was a fun book, I guess, even though it was, it was trying to be hard science fiction without being hard science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that maybe, maybe that's not the word. I don't want to insult people by saying it's hard science fiction for the masses. Right. But, but it kind of was, I mean, that's what it was trying to be. I saw, I wasn't that blown away by the Martian as much as everyone else was. So I didn't even pick up project Hail Mary, but I will. I mean, if, 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 if it's, yeah. So this book starts science fiction, I will. 
Yeah, it kind of starts off with a post or with a, an apocalyptic setup, um, very similar to the movie Sunshine, where um, there's something great. great which, great yeah, movie. it's Sunshine is one of my favorite movies. Danny Boyle, oh, yeah. great movie. But um, basically, um, the sun is getting hotter, and um, something's going on, and they figure, and this scientist accidentally figures out that the sun is being manipulated by forces by something caught causing it outside of the solar system whether it's natural or or like intentional they're not sure but basically um humanity puts together and this is all in hard sci-fi like andy weir style they they push the technology as fast and hard as they can to basically send a mission um to outside into interstellar space to kind of track down the cause of this and the way the book is set up in the beginning you don't know this this guy is on this mission and he doesn't have any memory of how he got on the spaceship at first and then so part of the way that's told is is there's a kind of back and forth of where his memories are starting to kind of come back and that sets up some things that I know some people didn't like, but I liked the way that it kind of unfolded. And this novel is a kind of a disaster, like like using science to try and solve this massive problem of the sun being made to grow larger and stronger and kill all the people <clears throat> versus the all the hard science that he has to do to pull off the mission. Um, in interstellar space and then and in, in it also becomes a first contact novel but i don't want to say anything more than that and the first contact stuff is handled really really well and um there's it sets up like a, a ticking clock that's really great there's lots of parallels and reversals and then the first contact relationship is awesome it's really well done um i think it is Weir's best of his three books, and I'd put it up there as one of the best 21st century science fiction novels that I've read, along with Aurora and 2312 by Ken Stanley Robinson, The Skinner, and, you know, like a few others. I think it's really, really, really good. Let me so. ask you, let me ask you this, because my one of my favorite sci-fi, hard sci-fi authors is Stephen Baxter. Um but but mostly that's speculative stuff. How does hmm. how does Weir's hard sci-fi stuff, which is basically, and I, again I don't want to belittle The Martian, which is because I enjoyed The Martian, planting potatoes, you know, on Mars. How does that sci-fi gel with the first contact story? Is it mostly procedures of the hard sci-fi, or or what does? I mean, how does he's how does, he's you see a little bit more of the guy who grew up reading Asimov and stuff okay. like that in, in this one. Now, you'll see that <coughs> I have a science fiction novel, two science fiction novels ahead of this one in my list. Um, I would say that Project Hail Mary is the best science fiction novel I read this year. It's not my favorite. There are two books that I liked personally more. But if you're just asking me what's the best science fiction novel I read this year, it came out this year, it's Project Hail Mary. It's not my favorite. It is, but it is the best. Um, and and I shouldn't have to hammer home that distinction, but yes. So um, yeah, okay. Um, 
your number two, Mark. We're almost my done. number two. And again, I talked about books that are short story books or or novellas that have a common thread running through them. And again, uh, this this book probably isn't going to win any awards, but for some reason, I I love the book. And I had read one of the stories previously to picking up this book. And this is a book uh, called Wounds, Six Stories from the Borders of Hell by Nate Ballingrad. Now, Nate Ballingrad had written some North American monster stories or river monsters monsters or or something. Yeah, monsters. Just got made into the Hulu series. The Hulu series, which I thought was good. But these six stories really do deal with the borders of hell. And they have, and and like I mentioned earlier, when I read a short story book, I'll read a story and then I'll put it down and then I'll read another story later and I'll put it down. This book, I couldn't do that because once I read the first short story, I read the second one, which didn't really tie in with the first one, but it had an element, a creative element that tied in with the first short story. And I found that unusual. And then as I read all the short stories, with the exception of the short story Skull Pocket, which made my, I want to say it made my top 10 horror stories, or at least on the honorable mention when we did that. um, They all have little elements that tie into each other, so much so that the last story reveals kind of a it's almost like a prequel to all the stories and it reveals how the creative elements occurred. I thought it was, I thought it was very well written, very digestible. I had a hell of a good time reading wounds, six stories from the borders of hell. The, and titles, are, the title story got adapted, didn't it? Uh, the title story got adapted to a movie, which I watched after I read this book and honestly, I'm not sure I had seen another movie that was a more literal adaption of a short story than Wounds. I'm trying to remember who was in it. It was the cannibal guy, the guy who's being accused of being a cannibal as of late. Who is that guy? Ar- uh, Army Hammer. Yeah, he's in it. There you go. <laughs> that guy, he's in it. But it literally is, if you've seen the movie, you don't need to read the short story. And very rarely would I say that, but it is an exact adaption almost word for word. It's like, how did you write the script? Well, I just took this short story and I took the dialogue out of this short story and I wrote a script out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which I'm not sure I've ever really, really seen. Maybe a even couple. more than stand by me or. Yeah. Even more than stand by me. I mean, yeah. it was, it was literal. It was like a literal adaption. It was, it was crazy, but still uh, I thought it was, a very good book. Um, the two bookend stories in the book are almost fantastic. One involves a detective in New Orleans looking for an atlas of hell. And then the last book, the last story involves pirates who are trying to me to hell. Uh, very cool. Very cool. For various reasons. Um, I, I just liked it a lot. I don't know. Was it a, was it better than again the only good Indians? Probably not, but I liked it better. All right. Well, my well, <laughs> you know, our list is favorites more than than best. I know, but you can't every time I say that, you roll your eyes and I find it hilarious. So, so go ahead. But my right, number so, one book you're not gonna be able to argue with. So okay. My number two is Stormland by John Shirley. And um, you know, bias aside, uh John is one of my uh, favorite 
uh, writers for a reason. Um, this book is kind of a warning novel, like uh, Alas, Babylon or 1984, Sheep Look Up, that kind of thing. And it's um, it's a cli-fi, like cyberpunk kind of crossover thing. And uh, it's John's return to science fiction after a couple of years of not really right. He hasn't written a science fiction novel in, in a few years. He um, and God, I was so glad he was back. Uh, this book is really bonkers. It's a, it takes place in a future South Carolina that um, is constantly battered by hurricanes. And so you ask, have to ask yourself a question. Who would choose to live in a state that is constantly being hit by hurricanes? <laughs> Who would make that choice? Um, and that sets up uh, some of the characters that live um, in Stormland. And so it's social satire. It's got like real sharp edges. It has like really um, kind of messed up, um, you know, kind of fucked up characters. It deals with climate change. It has uh, with like, it has the kind of angry venom that you expect from John Shirley and kind of you know, when he's like really going after something that, that, that pisses him off and that being in action on climate change. And so um, I just, I, I really think this book deserves more attention. I uh, interviewed John for this book um, over at Dickheads. So that's on the, the Dickheads podcast. And um, here's a, an exclusive John Shirley, uh, heads up for people who listen to this podcast is John will be our guest on Dickheads for Scanner Darkly. So nice. he's nice. coming on our Scanner Darkly episode. And, um, but yeah, I freaking love Stormland. It's so good. Um, and of course, this, this whole shelf here is all John Shirley stuff. It's all brilliant, amazing stuff. I've said Where's it, Wet Bones? Where's Wet Bones is right here. And it's your favorite. Wet Bones is my number one horror novel of all time with the sting looking guy on it. Um, yeah, of course, it's right there. Um, so, yeah, Wet Bones is my favorite horror novel of all time. But right now, I think you should be reading Stormland because it's the new book and um, see what John's up to. And um, I know he's reissuing soon uh, really, really, really weird uh stories which is back in the second row so i can't pull that one out but um he's getting a new reissue with cool layout and he also put out a poetry book this year which is the voice in the burning house and this has a blurb from me on it so <laughs> um so i i uh i appreciate that um and that book is like the the poetry book is really fun too it, it's not top 10 of the year for me because it's a poetry book and I'm not a super big poetry guy, but the poetry is great because it's kind of like a, um, it's, uh, you know, like punk lyrics basically because <laughs> John is a punk lyricist since the seventies. So yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark, we're almost done. You're number one. Yeah. This book is better than, uh, <clears throat> the only good Indians. So you could roll your eyes, but when I tell you what book it is, you'll go, yeah, it is. This is again, a retro read. I did not have a copy of this book for a very long time. Uh, and, and when I tell the story here, I'm going to read the inscription first, then I'll tell the story and you'll know exactly what book I'm talking about. I already know Inscri what book you're talking about. You, do you? Do you? I yeah, I'm so. sure you do. Which is, uh, when I got the book, it was inscribed. And it says, Dear Andy, this doesn't, and it's with cute 
some girl's cute handwriting, uh, like a teenage girl's cute handwriting. This book doesn't exactly have the Christmas spirit, but it does look chilling. Ha ha. You know, uh, this is... <laughs> This is, I kind of want to get rid of the inscription, but I love it so much. This is the purely escapist literature, which I totally disagree with. And I hope you uh, use it wisely. It, you know, it won't, uh, I want you to have a wonderful Christmas and a doubly new New Year. This is 1985's book, and I finally got a copy of it, Dark Gods by T.E.D. Klein. Uh, this was the number one book I read this year. It's a 1985 book. I had never gotten a copy of it. I didn't uh, roll my eyes that that was better than. No, I know you didn't. I knew you weren't going to. I didn't get a copy of it because David Agarnoff bought, buys every used copy of this book every time he's in a used bookstore. And there are none in Indiana. And I told you I've been looking for it. And you said, I'll send you one. And then I happened to find a, a hardcover copy online with that weird inscription. I think when I told you I found one with, with an inscription, you were like, you found a signed copy? And I was like, no, it's signed by a girl named No, Jack. you found a signed copy. That would be something. No, so yeah. the reason I, truth be, here's, I, let me explain myself. The reason is, why- By the way, before I go further, this book is awesome. I had never read a couple of these stories. Black Man and a Horn I had read, and I want to say I had read Petey, but man, it is, there's a reason why Laird Barron says this is like one of his Bibles. It It is a great, book yeah uh, all four stories are great pd is a masterpiece um uh, if you really want to hear laird does a better job selling it than we will back in the horror short stories episode he does a really good job of explaining why pd is like um uh, a book that he uses to inspire him how to write multiple characters in a room um ted klein for those who don't know ted klein was the editor of the twilight zone magazine in the 80s he wrote two books a novel called Ceremonies and this collection that Mark picked for his number one, Dark Gods, were the only two books he ever put out. And then he just quit, stopped. And that was it. it was super and, weird. and I have Ceremonies. I haven't read it yet because I'm just saving it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, um, and so there's not going to be another one after that, evidently. So, and so he went out of print. So the reason why Mark's making the joke is that for a while, Anytime I saw a used copy of either Ceremonies or Dark Gods, I bought it. It didn't matter that I already had copies because I knew one of my friends would want it or need it. And I have resold <laughs> or given away probably six copies of Dark Gods. And I was pretty sure that I have two of them on the shelf right now. <laughs> um, and Ceremonies because they're rare as shit. But sometimes if you're a used bookstore, they don't know what they have and they'll be selling it for like two or three bucks or whatever, you know. Right, look, this book was 50 bucks and it being hardcover, I felt like I got a bargain. Yeah. Even though yeah, it's inscribed it, by Jen, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I've never had a hardcover of any of them. I just had the paperbacks, but, um, but I... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I have like two right now. So I was going to mail it to you and then you, you stopped me. But um, but the that's why. So if you ever, anybody out there, if you see copies of the Dark Gods or Ceremonies, pick it up because they're, they're read rare. it first of all, because it is a great book. Yeah, T.E.D. Klein was a fucking amazing writer, but he just didn't want to keep doing it. He was just done. He read two books. That was it. 
He yeah, was... I think one of my top ten stories was the the events at Porath Farm, which I think was expanded into the ceremonies. But again, I haven't heard the ceremonies yet, and it's just a great Lovecrafty. He's just a great Lovecraftian cosmic horror kind of guy. But he's just a good author. I mean, as yeah. you said, editor of the Twilight Zone magazine, he was exposed to a lot of good authors, and you know, it it shows in his style. And Twilight Zone magazine was banging oh it was great it was great when he was running twilight zone magazine it was awesome so they had nonfiction, fiction had the best stories at the time it was it was it was a must read every issue it's funny because after i read this although you don't know why i asked it i asked you are there any horror or genre journals that you currently read that are in print and you gave me some names of them of some and i and i've looked at the ones online and stuff but yeah, I don't think I'll ever find anything as consistent as those 80s Twilight Zone magazines for that I liked, at least. Yeah. And when we were li- living in Portland at one point, um, we found there was a, a vintage magazine store. And um, I don't know why I didn't go get all of them, but I bought a couple. They had a bunch of Twilight Zone magazines and I bought three or four of them um, when we were there. And in fact, one of the best books I read of the last 10 years that I read was from reading a random review in one of those old Twilight Zones for a now out of print novel called Through Darkest America by Neil Barrett Jr., which is one of the best post-apocalyptic novels I've ever read. It's out of print now. And I just happened to read about it in Twilight Zone magazine. I was like, oh my God, this sounds incredible. We found it through there. Just that Twilight Zone magazine, if you can find any of those old, old issues, they're just, they're, they're gold. They're amazing. So, yeah, so that's your number one. Okay, my number one, and then we're done. Um, my number one is Day Zero by C. Robert Cargill. And C. Robert Cargill is the writing partner for the filmmaker Scott Derrickson. They made Sinister, the movie Sinister, together, and they made... Uh, they just recently finished the movie Black Phone based on the Joe Hill story. Really? Yeah. Yeah. With Ethan Hawke. Um, in that it. looks like I'm looking forward to that movie immensely. Yeah. Yes. Um, I've, and I've, I have a friend who saw it at a festival and said it was incredible. Um, so uh, Cargill also wrote Dr. Strange with um, Derrickson. Uh, he's a great writer and he has a couple novels and he wrote a science fiction novel a couple years ago called sea of rust and sea of rust is a masterpiece. There's not a single human being in it. Um, it takes place in a post human earth and the main character is a robot who is trying to cross the wasteland that used to be Ohio and Day Zero is the prequel to Sea of Rust about basically the day the AIs say fuck it and kill all the humans. <laughs> um, and Day Zero is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's what Day Zero means. And so, and the thing is, is that Sea of Rust, you know, when, when he said he was going to go back and do this, I was a little skeptical because Sea of Rust was so great in part because it um, doesn't have any humans in it and it's very interesting. Now, the thing is, is a lot of the robots have very human-like behavior um, and he gives more of a kind of explanation for that in Day Zero. Um, Day Zero 
well, it has the same concept as Machine Hood. Machine Hood is a hard sci-fi novel. This is as soft a sci-fi as you're going to get. Um, it is there. It is not very realistic of a story. It is more of a fun story. And the concept is that the main character is a AI who looks like kind of a tiger teddy bear type thing who um, is the trusted nanny best friend of this little boy and he's made to be cute and cuddly so and he's this boy's little ai and when the ai uprising happens this little cute and cuddly ai decides that he's going to do anything he can to protect his little boy and it's very spielbergy it's very ambliny it's very sugary sweet story between this little boy and the AI, but fuck, it works so well. I was so emotionally invested in this book, in the boy, and there's some really crazy things that go on. And basically you have these AIs who, the AIs realize that they're never gonna get rights in this human society. And they just basically decide they're gonna take all the humans out. But this group of nanny bots, basically whose entire programming is to protect their children um, are the, 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 the ones that kind of resist. And it is so good. This book, um, it's like I said, I think Project Hail Mary is a better science fiction novel, but this is the most fun and the most engaged and the most attached to a book I was all year. I flew through this book. Um, it's very Hollywood. Sounds like it has some heart. Yeah, it has a lot of heart and um, it's you can tell that Cargill has the Hollywood screenwriting training in, in his storytelling. And you can tell that he works in that industry and he gets it. And he's also a huge fucking movie nerd. He's written for he wrote for Ada Cool News, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, you can tell he's this this is like made to be a movie, except that the imagery of this badass looking or this badass nanny bot who looks like a little cuddly tiger doesn't, it, it, I can't picture it cinematically, but in the, it really works in the novel. And so a lot of times you can say Cargill has said on Twitter that, that a lot of the reasons why he writes a novel versus a movie, because he has the access to write movies is when he's like, I can't, picture this as a movie but i want to tell this story and yeah day zero loved it favorite book of the year well i just put it on my amazon list so there you go yeah um yeah super fun yeah i think i I don't sinister is kind of underrated as a horror movie um and cargill's a a great writer so i think i think dr strange is underrated as a marvel movie to be honest with you yeah yeah i think some big concepts and i'm looking forward to what sam raimi does with the sequel of that but uh big concepts yeah i so day zero sounds like it is up my alley because sometimes you do as you pointed out you just fell in love with the book you want to read one of those amblin sort of stories right you want to read poltergeist you want to read uh i almost said eight millimeter that is not I meant to say, uh, what's the uh, Super 8? I almost said 8 millimeter. 8 millimeter is not that movie. (laughs) No. 
Very different. Um, <laughs> so I would don't go don't go show an eight millimeter. You're like ten year old. I mean, you could, but I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, no, um, I just fucking love Day Zero. So yeah, yeah, that's right. it. and and I flew through it, and it's interesting because I did read it really soon after reading Machinehood, and it's so interesting to read the same story with an absolutely different take, like a different what's, kind of take. What's the know? point of view from uh, Day Zero? third person inside the it's actually first person from the nanny bot okay so, good you know what that's well that's what i was hoping you were going to say actually in yeah. this case yeah um, and um and it were and again this is an example or i don't like first person but it, it it disappeared once i got into the story there's a few times where it took me out of it because the nanny bot like says some very non-robot-y things like there's a part where the where in the narrative, the nanny bot basically, um, and the nanny bot has a name, and I'm just forgetting the name, but the but the robot basically says that's a big nope for me, and things like <laughs> that, which, you know, part of the idea that Cargill was trying to get us through, and he did this in Sea of Rust too, is that a lot of these AIs were designed by humans to be human like and to have personalities. And to have these things so it's on purpose but it's just it kind of took me out of the book a little bit that's the only complaint that i really had is that you know i just can't see a robot saying that's a big nope for me um and like and it was a very like tense moment of the book where you know one of the other ais is like hey you should really kill your family and join us <laughs> and he's you know uh, like that's a big nope for me and it's kind of like even in that moment it, that's just the one complaint i had all the positives far outweigh whatever negatives that i felt for day zero it's a fucking cool book um and cargill like and i recommend sea of rust as well but um but i and i don't think it'll hurt you to read the prequel first um of the two books i think day zero is a little bit better than sea of rust although sea of rust is 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 really good in its own right so um both good stuff all right so now that we've gone through everything um uh what's the one that you're the uh, the one that you're most thinking that you need to to bump up on the list honestly uh it'll probably jump towards the top of the well again immobility has been knocked down because of uh the house on needless street but based on what you just told me about day zero uh it seems like i'm looking for a fun light no, it might not even be a light book, but it is a a, a fun book, and I think that'll probably be moved up. Yeah, um, that'll be moved up to to higher up on my to read list. Let me ask you this, man: What book are you looking forward to in twenty twenty two? Yeah, I got to think on that for a second. Um, well, it's funny because I, a, a lot of what I'm going to be reading is going to be. Um, is going to be retro reads <laughs> it's funny um i think of the big releases i think uh daphne by josh mallerman is one that i'm really excited about uh he claims there's a there's a lot of basketball in it um <laughs> um and uh i don't know that's one that i'm really excited about i'm really excited about oh geez i gotta think about what's I can't, can't think of any what's up for pre-order right now. I'm brain farting on that. 
Yeah, I got two. I've got V.E. Schwab's uh, Gallant. I liked what she did with, uh, I don't know, it was a fantasy novel, which I know you might not, which was, uh, oh, what the hell was it called, man? The Color... Oh, I don't remember. I like what she's done in some fantasy books I read. And uh, and uh, Sweep of Stars. I'm looking forward to Sweep of Stars quite a bit. Oh, are you talking is, about? Oh, uh, yeah, that's the one. Maurice Brodus. Yeah. Maurice Brodus. Yes, absolutely. 100%. That is 100% the one that I'm most looking forward to. Absolutely. I don't know what that's going to be like. I, I mentioned that bookstore that has ARCs. I've gone there a couple times just on the hopes because we're in Indianapolis and that's where Maurice lives on the hopes that maybe there's an arc of his stuff that's sitting there, in which case it would jump to the top he, of my list. He, but I'm really He has a box of them. I know. I've seen it. I've seen a picture of it because I'm <laughs> friends with him on Facebook and I'm like, yeah, he doesn't know me well enough. He He's met me a couple times. He probably doesn't know who I am. And, you know, I, he's a great guy. I've always meant to go to his house because he has like a convention where basically you just show up at his house and hang out. Mokan, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, but sweep, yeah. sweep of Stars is definitely the book. Sweep of Stars looks very cool. To, it, it's a, what would you call it? It's an Afrocentric sci-fi. I've. Been, space opera. I don't know. I don't know what to expect out of called, it. I, I think they were shopping it as like, um, Black Panther meets the expanse. Okay. Um, okay. Whatever. Yeah. I, I honestly I, I don't want to know that much about it, but it, it looks and it sounded awesome. And I like his stuff. I thought I thought his uh and I can't tell you, I don't remember the name, the King Arthur thing he did was good. Uh, but but this seems like it's gonna be really cool. Um his short story collection, The Voice of Martyrs, is is uh, just amazing. Um and then um I like uh, what was the the Buffalo Soldiers the tour novella that he did a couple of years ago was really good. Um, yeah, and I got a chance to before I was doing the podcast. Just it's up on YouTube. I interviewed um, Maurice like when I was visiting in Indiana one time after I read Buffalo Soldiers, and he's a super cool guy. He we is. talked a lot about Sammy Terry. Um, I but, think he's yeah. a history teacher or an English teacher. It'd be weird him being your English teacher. Yeah. Especially no. if you become a fanboy, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah. Sweep of Stars is definitely, yeah, you hit on it. That is definitely the one that I'm most excited about. Um, I, I'm definitely excited for Tremblay's Paul Bearer's Club, uh, Stephen Graham what's, Jones. What's the premise of that, I, Paul Bearer's Club? Um, yeah, I think it is a little less horror than 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 some of the last couple ones. Um yeah, I don't know too much about the premise, but and I know Stephen Graham Jones has a sequel to um, My Heart is a Chainsaw called Don't Fear the Reaper, um, which he uh, basically announced in our, on our um, NBA preview. And that was the only time we talked about horror the whole time. Um, and then uh, Mallerman's Daphne, we've got that one coming. Um, I know. Uh, yeah, we've got some really cool stuff going. I've got on the TBR right now, I've got uh, Gene O'Neill wrote a Western, co-wrote a Western. I'm really looking forward to reading that. Um, Gene O'Neill, who wrote one of the best uh, horror short stories I've ever read, which is The uh, Burden of Indigo, which, by the way, was published in Twilight Zone magazine by T.E.D. Klein. So um, just bringing it home. And then I've got a nonfiction book on Chinese science fiction called Celestial Empire that I'm really looking forward to reading next year. And then this just came out. Um, and this 
is one of the books I'm really looking forward to reading, which is Dangerous Visions and New Worlds. It's a, a like almost coffee table like book about um, radical 50s through 1985 science fiction. And I'm super looking forward to that. That's um, I've been holding off on that um, for a bit um, when I'm ready to start working on my John Bruner article. Um, and then I'm going to read that and then, but that, that, that's one of the coolest books that's just recently come out. And then, Oh, uh, second shooter by Nick Mamatas. That's another one. The Are they going to, is there, I'm trying to remember, is there an adaption of uh, remembrance of earth's past coming out of, uh, you know, of a uh, three body problem? Yes. Netflix has yeah. the rights. I would tell working. everyone to go read that before that comes out. I'm not saying that won't be a great series. It will be, but man. Yeah. All right, so yeah, so I'm, I would say Sweep of Stars by Maurice Broadus and uh, Second Shooter by Nick Mamatas. Um, and then, yeah, Daphne by uh, Josh Mallerman. Those are the three that I'm most looking forward to in the next year. So, yeah, and I think Second Shooter might actually be out now. I think it just came out. And I tried when I was in Berkeley to go to the bookstore that he worked at to get a copy and they were all sold out um so you know it is what it is but nick mamatas is a great writer and that sounds like a really cool concept so second shooter um but other than that um all right well mark maybe we'll see each other this time next year to to see if you hey, read I'm, more. again i i don't know why you keep asking to be on these things because i'm just a dude who reads books but i'm happy to be here man it's one of the most enjoyable things i like doing is talking about <laughs> books and movies and all that stuff so well, hey, uh, you and I have spent many, many years talking about books, so might as well put it to some use. So I hope everybody enjoyed this and got some books to read for next year. Um, I'd say follow Mark online, but you can't. And so you're just going to have to, uh, if, if you really want to get some word to Mark, you can do it through me. Um, yeah, why not? I mean, I, I got nothing else going on. Uh, yeah. So sometimes people might say like they may, might want to argue with some ridiculous thing you said, like which is totally fine. I'm good with which the, is I, the only good Indian being the fourth best book that you read in a year. For example. Again, it's just my it's no, it was probably might have been the best book I read aside. Well, the second best book, <laughs> because I'm not sure I'm not sure Stephen Graham Jones would probably put himself above Dark Gods, but he might. I don't know. Seems like a pretty cool guy and a pretty reasonable guy. I know that Laird Barron wouldn't put himself above decline but that's okay uh, no no smart person would so and if laird um, listens to this laird i got about like five more days before i get my dog so give me some dog names all right uh well, well did you send him an email about it no i why would i do that that seems creepy do it do it i think laird <laughs> right, was I'll, funny. Tell him. I'll go agaroff told me to send you this email. <laughs> give me some dog names exactly I bet you i'll get a dog name out of it yeah exactly and he loves dogs so why wouldn't he want to do that so yeah, exactly yeah exactly all right so mark it was great talking to you and for everybody always else, great um yeah uh hit us up online if uh you want to argue with us um and uh read um read all these books they're great <laughs>